We're starting a new series on the gospel of the cross. And we all know that the word of God is truth, right? And Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is truth. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And Jesus is the, the, the representation of the word of God. And all, all the word of God has to be seen through that final testament of God, Jesus Christ. Seeing that all, tru- all the Bible is truth and, and, and we believe the Bible totally, what we have to understand is that even though it's all truth, not all truth is equal. Because this message we're going to be looking at today, most of you have heard this, and you're going to hear it again, and you're going to hear it again, and you're going to hear it again. And this is why. The Bible's all truth, not all truth is equal. Some truth, even though it's truth, and we're looking at it through a dark glass darkly, like end times, right? The Bible talks about end times, and it's truth. But does it really matter? Is it worth arguing about? Is it worth fighting about? No, because I don't think any of us got it all together. I don't think all of us got it right. But it's truth. It's in there, right? Right? And we just got done 10 weeks teaching on healing. Healing is truth, right? But it's not the most important truth. Prosperity is truth, but it's not the most important truth. The authority of the believer is truth, but it's not the most important truth. Let me explain it this way. Dan, since you're sitting close, if I, if I take Dan and feel that pulse there, that means that there's a heart beating in there, Right? Now, that's important. Wouldn't you, say, wouldn't you say that his heart beating is important? Now, we got our five physical senses. We got our touch. We got our, our eyes. We got our ears. We got our taste, right? And those are very important, too. But they're not, necess- they're not the most important thing, is it? That heart beating is the most important thing. Because if that heart's not beating, all the rest of it is, is useless. Correct? The same thing with... I'm just going to give you some different examples. Putting curtains up. You're putting curtains up on a wall. You put the curtain up and it falls down. You put the curtain up and it falls down. The curtains aren't the most important thing, is it? The rod that holds the curtain is the most important thing. That holds all the rest of the truth together. Right? You understand that? Jesus explained it this way. He explained it that a wise man builds his house upon the rock. See, if you build a house on sand, it can be beautiful. You can have the truth of windows. You can have the truth of carpet. You can have the truth of uh, slate shingles on the top of your, your roof. Copper gutters. I mean, just beautiful, beautiful home. But if it's not built on bedrock, it's going to crumble. So not all, all truth is equal. Wouldn't you say that? And this, the gospel of the cross is the truth. Jesus Christ said that he is the the capstone, the capstone that the builders rejected. He is that bedrock. He is our firm foundation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that truth. And, the, and understanding the gospel, understanding the cross, is what allows you to build all those truths on it and see it work right. Because I've seen a lot of people try to do healing without understanding the bedrock of Jesus Christ crucified. It becomes a work. Your tithes and offerings can become a work. I give because when I give, God blesses me. No, God has blessed you, so you give. There's a big difference there. It's a big difference. One is you trying to get God to do something. The other is doing because God has done something in Christ Jesus. Right? Right? This is one of my, this is my favorite subject. This is what we're all about, is the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 3, Paul says this. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and so Theseus, our brother, thank you, to the church of God which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Look at what he says there. He's writing to him and he's saying, you're sanctified. Just a few chapters later, he's going to get after him for getting drunk during communion. He calls him sanctified. You're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. He's calling them saints. 
with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So what does he say here? He's saying that, have you called on the name of the Lord? You're a saint. You've been sanctified. Isn't that good news? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. So Christ gave this grace. He gave this grace freely, and this grace is the enriching in everything that he is. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm to you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. God is faithful. And that's what our faith is in. That's what our trust is in, is God's faithfulness. Not our, we don't have faith in our righteousness. We don't have faith in the works of our own hand. We don't have faith in our confessions, right? Our Bible study, our, our giving. That's not where our faith is in. Our faith is in his faithfulness, and his faithfulness is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was faithful. Jesus Christ believed that he would be the perfect sacrifice and that you would be made righteous through that sacrifice. He has faith in you. Even though what you see doesn't look like what we just read, that you are sanctified and holy and that you're a saint, thank God that God believes it. Even when you don't believe it, even when you don't feel like it, God believes it. Verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the, in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by the, those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, which is Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, don't you love this? I am so thankful that... that even back then, churches were messed up. If, you, if you're looking for a perfect church and you find it, don't go to it because then it won't be perfect anymore. This, we're not a perfect church. We, there, there are things that happen, but thanks God for the grace of Jesus Christ that we can get through it, right? See, it's easy, it's, it's easy to love people that you know aren't supposed to be lovable. You know, people that aren't brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a lot harder when you're supposed to love somebody and they're not lovely and they're supposed to love you. Right? So if you can love each other in here, it's going to be a lot easier to love those out there. Because when we're supposed to do good to one another and we don't do good to one another and we still love each other, that's called family. Right? We all live that way. We have a family. We love them. We love to strangle them once in a while. No. But <laughs> so there was this division there. There was this division there. You know, it's kind of like my pastor is mega church so and so. My my pastor is P Peter. My pastor is Apollos. My pastor is Paul. Oh, I don't need a pastor at all. I got Christ. That's all I need. And there was these divisions. Well, I got baptized by Apollos when he came here. I I was baptized by Peter. And he says, you, you're missing the point. It's not about a man. It's about the gospel. It's about Christ crucified. And we're going to see that in just a second here. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. At least some should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ would be, should be made of no effect. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Don't worry, if you're, if you're trying to figure this all out, this is, this is the scriptures that we're going to be studying for the next weeks. So we're going to unravel all of this, okay? For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. We're going to be looking at the cross today. We're going to be looking at the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the cross and what God did when he manifest his forgiveness and his redemption through the cross. Through the, and when we speak of the cross, we're speaking of the crucifixion, we're speaking of the burial, and we're speaking of the resurrection. That's the, that's the cross. That's the cross. Do you realize that the cross was so powerful that time in history was so powerful that we mark our calendars by it. You got B.C., before Christ, and A.D., after death. Split time in two. Split time in two. Something, you know, for someone that doesn't believe that Jesus exists, you know, there's no way you can, you'd have to be, a, you'd have to be very foolish to say that Jesus never existed. But to realize that what Jesus Christ accomplished as a man caused time to stop and restart. That is amazing. That is amazing to think about, the power of the cross. You know, the cross, Jesus wasn't the first person to die on a cross. Many criminals died on the cross. Maybe many false prophets, many false messiahs were crucified on the cross. They were put outside the city gates as a reminder as people walked in not to mess with Rome, to follow the rules. They seen crosses. Crosses were barbaric. Crosses struck fear in the hearts of men. Crosses, crosses were terrifying torture devices meant to destroy men's lives. And now, we wear them around our neck. Jesus Christ was able to take this item that was meant to destroy men's lives, this item that was meant to strike fear in the hearts of men, and turn it into a symbol of hope, a symbol of redemption, a symbol of saving. And if Jesus Christ can do that to that ugly torture device, that ugly means of murder, what can he do with a sinner's heart? What can he do with your heart? What can he do with your heart? The cross is powerful. The cross is powerful. We see in verse 17... It says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the words of wisdom, lest the cross of, God, the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So we see here that it's the preaching of the gospel. In verse 18 it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are pre- perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in verse 23 it says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews at some block, and to the Greeks' foolishness. Three titles. Three titles, same message. Three titles, same message. All three of these are used interchangeably. Paul used them right there, right? Right in that short passage of Scripture, he used them all interchangeably. So if you preach the gospel, you are preaching the cross. So if you're preaching the cross, you're preaching the gospel. If you're preaching Christ crucified, you're preaching the gospel. If you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching Christ crucified. It's all the same. So when you read in the Word of God about the cross, you're, you're reading about the gospel. When you're reading about Christ being crucified, you're reading the gospel and vice versa. Got it? 
They all make up the same message, the amazing story of grace. All three of these make up that message, that story of grace. Verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Paul was sent to preach the gospel, not to baptize. Wow, that's something to think about, ain't it? Because Jesus command, didn't Jesus command us to be water baptized? So is Paul, is, is Paul just saying, you know what, I'm not going to do, I'm not doing anything that the Lord told me to do. I'm preaching the, the cross and that's it. See, what they were doing is they were getting the order wrong. They were putting their, their trust and their faith in their baptism and who baptized them. We're going to have a baptism service here pretty soon. Next week, we're having it. Right? And you need to understand that. That baptism does not save you. Matthew 28, 18-20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. We see here the order. There's an order there. You preach the gospel. They become disciples. You baptize, and then you continue the discipleship program. You can go down in the water a dry center and come up a wet center. It's just a representation of an inward work. In Mark, Jesus proclaimed it again. In Mark 16, 15 through 18, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We see an order there, don't we? They that believe and then are baptized. Right? And you might be thinking, what's the big deal? Well, you know, what's up, what's up, what's up with Paul? What's up, Paul? He's, he says, I didn't come to baptize. That's not what he came to do. Water baptism is not the gospel. Understand that. It's not what saves you. When you add anything, anything to what Jesus did on the cross, you make the cross of none effect. You understand that? When you say that I was baptized when I was a baby, so I'm saved, that is you adding to, you did something, so that saved you. Do you understand that? We get baptized because we are saved. It goes back to what we shared at the beginning. You don't, you don't give to be blessed. You're blessed, so you give. It's a, it's a reaction to what you believe, right? Right? Anything you add. So Paul was saying, Paul wasn't, was saying that uh, he doesn't baptize. He's saying that that's uh, his main objective. His main objective is to preach the gospel because baptism is what saves you. Did he baptize people? Yeah, we just read he did baptize people. But what they were doing, what the church was doing, is they were taking and saying that they were somebody because they were baptized by a certain apostle. That that made them more holy or more righteous or whatever. And he's saying that it, the baptism has nothing to do with the gospel. It's not what saves you. Baptism is an outward sign. You receive Christ by faith. You get baptized in Christ in the Spirit. Do you understand that? We're going to talk about that next week. That baptism actually means to be, to be submerged. A true translation of it is dunk. Do you know the word baptism is a Greek word? And the reason why when they translated it in the Bible, they left it into that Greek word baptism because they didn't want to call him John the Dunker. No, seriously, he would have been called, if you translate it into English, it would have been dunk. So it would have been John the dunker. 
It's not even an English word. Baptism isn't even an English word. So, you'd have been John the Dunker. But we are baptized into Christ. See, if you can understand this, if you can see this, when I read the Bible, before I understood this, it was very confusing because you read about baptism throughout the Bible, right? But if you understand it as being dunked or submerged into Christ, it changes the whole thing. I used to read it thinking it was water baptism, water baptism, water baptism, water baptism. No, it's the, you receive the gospel, and in the Spirit, you're submerged into Christ, you're dunked into Christ, and I've shared this over and over and over again, but it's a perfect example. They dunked garments in, in the Greeks would dunk garments in to dye. They would baptize those garments. And they'd pull the garments out, and when they pulled it out, the purple dye was in the garment, and the garment was in the dye, and you couldn't separate the two. When you're baptized, you're going to hear this all next week too. So don't be yawning tomorrow or next week. When you, when you were baptized into Christ, you were submerged into his very spirit. The spirit of Christ now dwells in you. And you can't separate your spirit from his spirit. As he is, so are you in this world. So when you read the, the Bible in the, in, the, in the New Testament and, and you come across verses about baptism, read it with that understanding of not being dunked in water, but being dunked into the spirit of Christ. It opens up Pandora's box for you. It's awesome. In Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 6, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Don't worry, we're going to come back and we're going to go through this. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. I thought fallen from grace meant failure to keep the law. But it says here that those that attempt to keep the law have fallen from grace. Hmm. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Verse 7, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Verse 12 is a little confusing. And we're going to go through it all, but verse 12, you've got to understand what he's saying here. There's a little humor in the Bible. You ever think about Jesus? Jesus was a pretty comical guy. You know, you're complaining about the splinter in someone else, the speck in someone else's eye, and you've got a log in your eye. When you think, if you, if you really meditate on what Jesus is acting like, you know, talking about the Pharisees, you brutal vipers, whitewashed tomb sectors, filled with dead man bones, a, a camel through the eye of the needle, all that stuff. If you really, if you image that stuff, a camel trying to get shoved through a needle, I mean, it's kind of it's comical. But you look at, look at this here. Verse 12 is very interesting. So we're going to amplify it for you, the amplified version. It says, but brethren, if I still preach circumcision, as some accuse of me of doing as necessary to salvation, why am I still suffering persecution? In that case, the cross has ceased to be a stumbling block and is made meaningless, done away. I wish those who, un I wish those who unsettle and confuse you would go all the way and cut themselves off. That still doesn't explain it very good. We need, we need a bold translation here. Because you guys don't got it. You don't have it yet. Let's look at God's word translation. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching that circumcision is necessary, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the cross wouldn't be offensive anymore. I wish those troublemakers would castrate themselves. That's what Paul is saying. 
He's saying, why don't you just go out and cut it right off? Cut it all off. That's pretty bold, ain't it? What do you think they did when they read that? What, did he really say that? He's saying, if, if circumcision saves you, why don't you go all the way and cut it all off? That, that would really save you, wouldn't it? See, circumcision was a big deal. Circumcision was before the law of Moses. Circumcision was given to Abraham. It was such a big deal that God called Moses and from the fiery bush, the burning bush, and he's heading to Egypt to liberate, to redeem Israel. And God stops him in the way and says, I'm about to kill you. Think about this. He just, he just got the fiery, the fiery bush, the burning bush, talked to God. He's heading to redeem God's people, and God says, I'm about to kill you. Why? Because you have not circumcised your children. And his wife circumcised the kids, threw it, it says, threw it at Moses and called him a bloody husband because she was mad about the whole thing. And she got mad and went home with the kids to her, her father, and she missed all the miracles of Egypt. So don't, don't allow, this is just a little side note, don't allow you being offended, don't allow your offense to cause you to miss out what God's doing. We get offended, we go, get away mad, and you miss out on everything. She missed out on all the signs and wonders of, in Egypt. She missed it all. All she heard was the songs and the stories. But circumcision was a big deal. Circumcision was a big deal. And Paul was saying that it's not, a, it's not important anymore. It's not important anymore. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. So what's he saying here? Is he saying like baptism, that baptism's just gone away, water baptism's gone away with? It's not important to do anymore? No. Was Paul Paul baptized? Yes. Was Paul circumcised? Yes. On the eighth day, Hebrew of Hebrews, right? It's not that circumcision causes you to make the cross of none effect. It's when you say, I am holy, I am righteous, I am in right standing with God because I am circumcised, that's when you make the cross of God of none effect. The same thing with water baptism. If you say, I am right with God and I'm, I have eternal life because I was water baptized, you're making the cross of none effect. It's not by what you do. It's by what Jesus Christ has done. Understand? That's, his sacrifice will profit you nothing if you, if you are trying to do it through keeping religious laws and religious routines. So what about today? Should you be circumcised? Well, there's lots of benefits to being circumcised. Do you have to be circumcised? If you want to, do it. Go for it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't affect one way or another with your relationship with God. Not one way or another. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. What's Paul saying here? He's saying if you look to any of the law for righteousness, you are a debtor to it all. We just read about that. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. Just a little bit of yeast causes that whole bread to be infected with it. And that's what the law does. I have never, ever met someone that is a legalist that can tell you where it ends. There's always another law. You're always not good enough. You're always not good enough. There's always something else you need to do. There's never an end to the law. And he's saying if you're trying to keep the law to be righteous, to be holy, to have a relationship with God, 
You are a debtor to all of the law. You have to do it all. You can't just pick and choose, which we so easily do here in America. Our, every church, every denomination has their little set of rules. You have become estranged from Christ who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. I was always taught that if you sin, and it's not the little ones, because, you know, the church had a lot of, the little ones were okay. You know, you can be rude to the waitress and be, be stingy and not temper good. Don't you love those Christians? And, <laughs> well, it's true. They say that the, they say waitresses say that the worst, this is what I've heard, so I don't know if it's truth, because we, because we just found out, we just found out that 50% of all marriages ended in divorce, and they said that the same is the, it's the same way in the church, and that was false. There's only 13% in the church. But anyways, what I've heard is that waitresses say that the worst day to waitress is on Sundays. That's when all the Christians come in, and they're stingy. What's it? Act rude and tip small, Yep. So, see, it's, it's not saying it's... <laughs> so if I, if, I did, if I fail to keep those rules, then you're going to fall from God's grace. And that's not what it's saying. We have it completely backwards. He's saying if you're trying to keep the rules to be righteous, you have fallen from grace. That's amazing. Ain't that liberating to know that it's not about me trying and performing, doing the religious circus tricks. It's about believing, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, renewing my mind to who I am in him because I've been baptized into him. And by renewing my mind to who I am in him, I automatically live a life of obedience to him. It's a huge difference. You have become estranged from Christ. Estranged from Christ means to be alienated. You no longer have close or affectionate relations with him. You lose your communion with him. And isn't that true? When you put yourself under the law, when you think you've done something wrong, you feel a distance from God. It's not God who moved, it's you. Because you're judging yourself based on your actions rather than the finished work of Jesus Christ. You're thinking, because I did this, God doesn't love me anymore. And i got to do these religious routines, and once I do enough of them, then he'll accept me back again. You've estranged yourself from Christ. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do. Whoo, that's shouting. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And when you put yourself back under the law, you lose that close, intimate relationship with God. You lose it. You fall from grace, and you put yourself back under the law. James 2.10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of it all. That's the weight of the law. You could be like the rich young ruler. Oh, I've done all this stuff from my, from my youth. I've done this all from my youth. And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. In other words, had no other gods before me. Well, he stumbled in one area and was guilty of it all. Do you realize that if you stumble in one area, if you judge yourself by the law and you stumble in one area, you're just as guilty as a homosexual. You're just as guilty as an adulterer. You're just as guilty as a murderer. You're just as guilty as a pedophile. You're guilty as everybody by stumbling in one area. That's the weight of the law. That's the weight of the law. Who wants to trust in, the, in the, their own righteousness? Who wants to trust in their own ability to do good? Who wants to trust in their own ability to keep the law of God? God knew that they wouldn't be able to do it, so he, that's why he gave the sacrifices. And even though they were screwing up, as long as they were sacrificing, he was atoning for that. He was covering those sins. And what happens? What happened? Every time Israel went into bondage is when they started worshiping other gods. Why? 
Because when you worship other gods, you're no longer sacrificing. And there's no atoning for your sins. That's awesome. So if you want to keep the law, go for it. But if you mess up once in one area, you're guilty of it all. Galatians 2, 20, 21, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. That is that baptism. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The faith is the Son of God. What is the faith is the Son of God? That's his faithfulness. This, his faithfulness to make me righteous, holy. He's my healer, right? His faithfulness. I have faith in who he is. The life I now live, I live in his faith, trusting in his faith and his righteousness and his faith towards me and him believing that I'm righteous and holy and blameless. That's the life we now live. If we renew our minds to this, this is what Paul's trying to say. If you renew your minds that your old nature has been crucified, it's no longer you who live, it's Christ that lives in you, and we live according to his finished work in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Again, we talked about falling from grace. Now he's talking about setting the grace of God aside. Setting the grace of God aside. And how do you set the grace aside? Grace of God aside? By thinking that righteousness comes through the law. If you're trying to become righteous by keeping the law, then he's saying Christ died in vain. There was no reason for him to die. He died, his death was meaningless. His crucifixion was meaningless. That's huge. So many people don't understand that. So many people haven't renewed their mind to it. And I'm telling you, there's going to be times in your life when you need to remember this. Renew your mind to this. Because the, the accuser of the brethren, he's going to come and say, look what you just did. You think God's going to answer your prayers? You think God's going to bless you the way you act? What you did? When's the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time you prayed to God? Who do you think you are? Well, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a son. I've been adopted. I have an inheritance. And greater is he than in me than you that's in this world. Ain't it so much better to boast in Christ than not boast in yourself? Amen. Amen. So we're talking about circumcision. Paul says circumcision isn't what saves you. Baptism isn't what saves you. Sabbath. Do you know that there's still churches out there that say that you have to go to church on a certain day? If you don't, God is against you. God won't accept you. That you can't be saved if you go, don't go to church on the Sabbath day. And for all that you know, you're all lawbreakers because the Sabbath was on Saturday. And it was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So if you're out working and doing stuff on Friday night, you're breaking the law. It's not just about going to church on Saturday. But there, there are people that really believe that. That you're not saved if you do not go to church on the Sabbath. Feasts. You know, there's some people that think we need to keep all the Jewish feasts and festivals. All those feasts, and, and I, by the grace of God, I'm going to preach on these. But they're all typology and images of Jesus and what he has done for us. All those feasts. Hmm. Dietary laws. Do you know that there's, there's some, some churches that think that you can't eat certain things? You can't eat pork. You can't eat shellfish. You can, some go as far as say you can't eat meat. This is huge in the body of Christ is dietary laws. There's books and books and books on right eating. Right? And we fall into this. We fall into, well, if, if I just eat healthy enough, then God will heal me. What, that's a work that you have to do. Now, don't get me wrong. Do I think that you should be eating ding-dongs and Twinkies all day? No, no. You can't continue to break. You can't continue to break physical laws, natural laws, and expect a good result. Right? You're going to be fighting sickness and disease all the time if all you eat is McDonald's, right? But there's nothing wrong with eating McDonald's once in a while. 
And it's not what saves you, right? It isn't what makes you righteous and holy before God. I read in Genesis that the whole ground was cursed, right? So even our organic food that we eat is cursed. Thank God I'm not cursed. I have Jesus Christ. Now, is there anything wrong with eating organic? No. It's healthy. It's good for you, right? It's good for your body, right? You can, you can avoid a lot of bad things that you have to deal with by eating healthy food that's not filled with chemicals and garbage, correct? Right. But that's not your healer, right? It's not your healer. I probably offended somebody, but whatever. Because this is big. I mean, I try to eat healthy. The problem with me is I don't exercise enough. I need to exercise more. Stop your laughing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we run the McDonald's. But what I'm saying is, is do not make it a law. Do not come under guilt and condemnation. You know, we put ourselves under so much stress. Just chill out. Chill out. Right? We just looked at this two weeks ago that humor is good like a medicine. Right? If we're all stressed out, if you're stressed out about every single calorie and every single thing that you eat or exercise, I didn't do my exercise or I didn't do my Bible study or I didn't do this, didn't do that, man, you're so tense. Just chill out. Enjoy life. Enjoy Christ, right? Forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry. Dietary laws and forbidding to marry. These things, actually the Bible calls them a doctrine of devils. And there are certain denominations that forbid people to marry. Look at what it says here in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Now the Spirit express, expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctors of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and condemning to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So if you forbid people to marry, I got to, oh boy, thanks, Lord. I got to, if you forgive a a man and a woman to get married, Ain't that a shame? I gotta tell you what marriage is. It's between a husband and a wife, a male and a female. Okay? If you forbid people to marry, it's a doctrine of devils. And if you tell people that you can't eat pork, you can't eat this, you can't eat that, it's a doctrine of devils. But do you have to get married? No. Do you have to eat pork? Do you have to eat that? No. How liberating, how freedom, how free. Amen? Amen. I mean, Amanda knows if I'll buy organic, but I'm not going to condemn myself if I don't eat organic. Right? And I found out that if it says, if it says all natural, that means nothing. <laughs> all natural means nothing. So, okay, where are we? Clothing. You know, there's some, there's some Christians that think that you're sinning, that you're going to go to hell, that you're not pleasing and acceptable to God if, ladies, you don't have a dress on, and that dress has to be below your knees. There's some, there's some other religions that the whole, only the hands and the eyes can be seen. You know, some, some places think that you have to have your hair up in a, in a bun. Ain't it great that women, you can wear a pair of slacks? To wear some shorts if you want to. Well, you know, it's summer out there and you got, you're wearing your dress down to your ankles and the men are out there in shorts. What kind of... That makes God happy. That's just stupid. 
Religion is stupid. Denominations. Some people think if I, that if you don't go to my church, then you're not saved. If you're not in our denomination, you're not saved. I mean, you've all heard this stuff. Music. We just went through that, a couple, you know, 10 years ago. It was terrible. The, the hymnals are holy. God doesn't hear worship. There's some, there's some denominations and some churches that if you have musical instruments, if it's not a cappella, then it's not pleasing to God. See, circumcision isn't, you, you're thinking, what's circumcision have to do with us? And especially you women. You women are sitting here thinking, that doesn't have nothing to do with me at all, circumcision. But what he's saying is, is anything that you put in the place of Christ, anything that you put as your righteousness, anything you can point to that says this makes me acceptable to God besides the cross of Jesus Christ causes you to fall from God's grace. Bible translations. There's some people, if you, you're, going, you're of the devil if you're not preaching King James. Do I have anything against Kim James? No. What I am for is you understand in the Bible. That's what I'm for. And truthfully, King James isn't even the most accurate translation. The New American Standard Version is the most accurate translation. You ask some people, what they ask them what Bible they read, and they say, well, I read it in the in the same language that Paul wrote it, the King James. Now, if you want to be right, you go, you go and you learn Greek, you learn Hebrew. But there's people that say you're going to hell. Or I can't listen to that preacher because he's using some other translation of the Bible. What we do here is I try to use the new King James Version, and then I... As you see, when I, we need to amplify a, a verse or something to get to clear a meaning, yeah, we pull out, pull out other translations. Face painting. You know, if you, if, women, if you need makeup, you're going to hell. There's some people that believe that. You wear deodorant, wear perfume, whatever, if you want to dress nice. That, that's not pleasing to God. It's funny that those that say that you're supposed to dress modestly and you're not supposed to wear jewelry, or makeup and all that stuff. It, it, it also says by putting on clothing. So that means you're not supposed to put on clothing either. <laughs> and what, what's, what's interesting about it is, is those people that try to do that, actually, modestly means don't bring, draw attention to yourself through your clothing. Let Christ in you be what people, attracts people to you, Right? And what's interesting is those that think that they're being modest, actually, when you're walking down the street, walking into a store, and you see them in the parking lot or see them in the store, they actually cause you to look at them because they look different than everybody else. They're all in gray and a little thing on their head and no smiles. It actually is the opposite of being modest. Why? Because it's drawing your attention to them. It's the complete opposite, and that's what religion does. So we see, it's just not circumcision. It's just not baptism. It's all the things that we think we have to do to be right with God. Verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. What's liberty mean? Freedom by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What is that yoke of bondage? Not to be entangled again with. The law. Exactly, the laws. It's bondage. Jesus came to set us free from that bondage. Do not be entangled once again. God never intended for us. God never intended for us to be righteous by keeping the law. And if you are trying to be righteous by keeping it, what was meant to bring life brings death. Because is the law evil? No, the law is not evil. The law is good. It is good. It's a way and means to live life here on earth. You're going to live a lot longer 
by living life God's way, right? Relationships go a lot better, right? If you're not committing adultery on your wife, don't you think? Don't you, don't you have a lot healthier, a healthier life or a healthier marriage? Life too. My wife would kill me, but no, uh, <laughs> but right. Your marriage is a lot better, right? Isn't it a lot better if you're not lying and, and committing uh, false testimony against one another? Isn't it nice that we can trust one another? If you can trust one another, if you're not you're not stealing, all the, all those things. Yes, the law is good. But if you're trying to be righteous and holy before God by keeping the law, you're going to fail miserably. Right? You, and what you do is if you find out who you are in Christ Jesus, renew your mind to that, and start walking in the Spirit, you'll find yourself, you'll find yourself doing the law more on accident than you ever did when you are trying to do it in the flesh. And if you fail to keep the law, you know what? No sweat. You get up, walk by grace. Faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. It's the end of the law for righteousness' sake. It's the end of the law for you being right with God. It's the end of the law for your holiness. It's the end of the law for your sanctification. It's the end of the law for God to bless you. Because of Christ. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. We became a new creation in him. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And you have been born of God, little children, John says. You've been born of God. Amen. That's good news. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.com.